Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. You and I, when we're faced with trials that are prolonged and recurring and painful and seem endless, make sure that you seek change without compromise. Seek change. God does not say there's something to be valued and virtuous in pain just to have pain. If that was the case, we'd be beating people over the head with a baseball bat on their way out of church saying, go suffer for Christ this week. Let me give you a lump on your head. Sometimes the trials seem to stack up, don't they? And after a while, it may feel like there's no point in trying to change things for the better. But today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares reminds us we're not helpless. Although we may be facing difficult circumstances, God will provide a way through, and we'll be stronger for it. He's continuing our series called Chronic Life Aches, and we're in 1 Samuel. We've just reached chapter 26, where David is enduring unimaginable circumstances. Well, here's Pastor Mike with more. Look at it with me, if you would, in verse number one. The text says that the Ziphites went to Saul at Gibeah and said, Is not David hiding on the hill of Hekelah, which faces Jeshumon? Now, I assume that this is something that you look at, and if you've been with us, you say, I recognize some of these names. You will, because in chapter 24, it's the same group of people that turn on David and say, We know where David's hiding. And so word goes out to Saul, and Saul, verse 2, goes down to the desert of Ziph with his 3,000 men to search for David. He makes his camp beside the road on the hill of Hakilah, facing Jeshimon. But David, he stayed in the desert. When he saw that Saul had followed him there, he sent scouts out and learned that Saul had definitely arrived. In the first four verses, it's not what I see there that impresses me. It's what I don't see there that impresses me. And the thing that needs to be exposited is not the presence of David's reaction. It's the absence of David's reaction. Because in this kind of situation, I would think you, like me, would decide at that point, God, I've had enough. David doesn't have any kind of despair. At least it seems at this particular point, he may be frustrated, but he hasn't lost hope. And if you want to get through the kind of recurring and prolonged trials that God seems to allow his saints to walk through, would you, number one, do what David did? Would you make it a point in your life not to despair? Don't despair. Don't lose heart. And I know that sometimes the recurring trials of our lives that seem to be same song, second verse, same song, third verse, same song, fourth verse, we start thinking, God, I can't go on. It's at that point we need to say to ourselves, now, God, what is it that you have given me that supersedes and goes beyond the boundaries of the trial that I face? And God has said that we have a lot. It is a dignified, biblical response that we cast our anxieties on God because He cares for us. We entreat Him with our prayer requests, and then we sit back and allow the peace of God, which, if you'll remember in Philippians 4, surpasses all understanding. People scratch their head, and they don't get it. And God guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do you remember that passage? How important that is for us when we're in the midst of the trial that won't go away, the chronic life pain that's always seeming to be there, and it's like, God, why don't you take this away? Don't despair. Back to our passage. Second thing we see David do is not something that we look at and find the absence 
of a response that impressed me. I think there are several things that he does in this passage that very much impress me. In verses 5 through 20, if you'll notice a few things, it says in verse number 5 that he set out and went to the place where Saul had camped. Now, what was his intention here? I don't know what his intention was here, but I assume that his intention was here. He sets out to make Saul realize that he's not the bad guy that Saul has made him out to be. He makes a personal defense of his life. That's what he does. And I think that's what he set out and intended to do. Now, within the course of him trying to justify before Saul that he wasn't the bad guy that Saul thought he was, he wasn't the usurper of the throne, he was not out to kill Saul or knock him off. If he could get that point across, that's what he wanted to do. But in the midst of all of that, there was a special temptation that arose. Look at it, if you would, as he goes into this camp while all of them are sleeping, long before dawn, and look at it in verse number seven, a guy named Abishai says, I'll go with you to the army by night where Saul is lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were all lying around Saul. Look at verse eight. Abishai says to David, wow, everyone's sound asleep. We've made it to the center of the camp. We've snuck in here by stealth. No one has seen us. And he says, wow, today God has delivered your enemy into your hand. I can kill him. Let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of my spear. I won't strike twice. And I'm thinking at that point, Round three, same temptation. Maybe it's time to take this into my own hands. And yet David resists the temptation and says to Abishai and passes this test again, do not destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him. Either his time will come and he'll die or he'll go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and the water jug that are near his head and let's go. I guess that's what David came for. And when tempted to do more, he says, no, I know I want relief from this, but I'm going to steal these things, go across the valley and show Saul, I could have killed you, but I didn't kill you, justifying himself in the process, saying, look, I'm not the bad guy you think I am. But when tempted to do more, which would end his suffering, at least in the present, he decides not to do it. Now, sometimes when I talk about the whole issue of Christians enduring through trials, people leave the service thinking that what I'm advocating is that you and I, when we encounter hard times, just throw up our hands and say, I guess this is God's will. I'll suffer for Christ. And that's just the way it is. Praise God. Give me a hymn book. Let me sing my way through this because it's just a trial and that's the way it is. I'm just so blessed to suffer for Christ. You know, get a splinter out here on the construction site. I don't say, oh, praise God. I have pain in my finger now and I have a, I have a little blood coming out there. I guess I just leave that in there and suffer for Christ's sake. See, the principle I'm trying to illustrate is I fix the problem if I can. If I can fix the problem within the parameters that God has set, I will do it. But when I'm tempted because of my pain to push beyond the borders of God's allowance, I don't go there. I may be tempted to, but I don't. Put it this way in your outline if you're taking notes. Number two, you and I, when we're faced with trials that are prolonged and recurring and painful and seem endless, make sure that you seek change without compromise. Make sure you do both sides of that. Seek change. God does not say there's something to be valued and virtuous in pain just to have pain. If that was the case, we'd be beating people over the head with a baseball bat on their way out of church saying, go suffer for Christ this week. Let me give you a lump on your head. But that's not what the Bible teaches. 
We try to in our lives when we encounter pain, get the pain away from us. But we only go so far as the Bible allows. David said, I'll go make a case for my innocence. I'll take the spear and the water jug. I'll stand on the other side of the valley and I'll say, look, Saul, I'm not trying to kill you. Would you stop trying to kill me, please? But when tempted to cross a line that God says not to cross, in this case, taking revenge, he says, I won't go there. You remember a passage in the New Testament, don't you? You might want to jot it down. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 talks about the fact that Christians were having disputes with one another. And in their disputes with each other, in verses 1 through 9, it says some people were resorting to going to court. They would go and litigate their problem against another Christian before a non-Christian judge. And Paul rebukes them for that. He empathizes with the fact that if you have a dispute, solve it. And he gives them instructions in the first nine verses as to how to solve their disputes with each other. But he says, you don't cross this line. And the line is, we don't go and litigate before non-Christians in the courts. We don't do that. That's not how Christians solve their problems with other Christians. Do you see how there's always that critical balance in the Christian life? See, when I get sick and have a problem or break a bone, I go to the doctor. I say, God, I want you to take this pain away, and I think it's right for us to try and seek relief from our pain, so I'm going to seek to change my circumstances. But when tempted, because of my pain, to compromise and cross lines that you've clearly said in your word, I won't do it. And that needs to be our commitment. Those are the boundaries. Don't suffer as a silent, passive martyr. And on the other hand, don't cross lines motivated by your pain because pain is a huge blinding catalyst for sin. You recognize that, right? When you're hurting, you'll say, I'll cross those lines because I need relief. David was tempted that way, but he didn't do it. Instead, he does all he can within the boundaries and parameters of Scripture. Drop down to verse 17, back in our passage, 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 17. Saul recognizes David's voice as he stands on the other side of the valley and says, Is that your voice, David, my son? And David says, Yes, it is, my lord, the king. And then he starts his logical argument. Why is my Lord pursuing his servant? What have I done and what wrong am I guilty of? Now let the Lord, the King, my Lord, the King, rather listen to his servant's word. If the Lord incited you against me, then may he accept an offering. Maybe we can go and worship and ask for forgiveness before God. But if it's a person, if however men have done it, then may they be cursed before the Lord because it's just a filthy lie, as you can see here. I have things that show that I was in your presence and could have killed you, but I didn't. So if people are saying this, they're lying. These people, if they are people saying this, have driven me from my share in the Lord's inheritance. I'm not in my father's land. I'm not living in Bethlehem anymore. I'm on the edges of the desert of southern Judea. And this has been terrible for me. They're saying, in essence, go and serve other gods. Now, Saul, don't let my blood fall to the ground far from the presence of the Lord. Don't kick me out of the country as a fugitive and an alien. The king of Israel has come out to look for a flea. What am I anyway? I'm one guy with a band of nobodies out here. It's like one hunting for a partridge in the, in the mountains. It's not worth it. Why are you chasing me? If you have a problem at work, I advocate you go and try and solve it. But what I'm saying to you is there's that critical balance. 
that when we try to invoke change in our lives, we don't cross the boundaries. We move to action. That's a good thing. But be careful and know what the boundaries are in your situation. If you're encountering a marital difficulty, would you figure out what the scripture says are the parameters for fixing marital problems? If you're having trouble with your children, would you study the Bible and realize what the parameters in dealing with our children are? If you're having problems at work, would you recognize the scriptural and ethical principles of the Bible that are drawn for us in the sand that are unmovable? And if you don't know those things because you haven't yet mastered the biblical text in that particular area, would you get with some mature Christian in our church that has and spend time looking at what the parameters are? Because you've got to know what the boundaries are. And then you work within those boundaries. If you're having a recurring, constant, never-ending trial in your life, don't sit by and be passive. Seek change, but don't compromise. And that's the biblical principle and pattern of the text here. In verse number 21, after this logical argument and this illustration of the fact that he's not out to kill King Saul, Saul responds in verse 21 in a way that he had responded before and had given David some temporary relief. Here he gives him relief again because he seems to be truly convicted again of his sin. He says, I've sinned. Come back, David, my son. Come across that valley because you considered my life precious today. I will not try to harm you again. Surely I acted like a fool and I've erred greatly. David says, well, that's nice and all of that, but I've seen you flip-flop so many times. Here's the king's spear. Let one of your young men come over and get it. Now, that's what happens, but then here's what David says. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. Would you look at that again? The Lord rewards every man, verse 23, for his righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. Now, here's this situation where he goes in, tries to justify himself, seek change without compromise. He could have killed him. He didn't. Praise God for that. What a good example for us. But then he goes back and he puts his hand on his chin and he strokes his beard. And after seeing that Saul is going to turn his 3,000 troops back and head home to Gibeah, he starts to theologize about it all. And he says, hmm, boy, the Lord is good to be faithful in responding to people that do the right thing. You know, I had a chance to cross a line of compromise today and I didn't do it. And may God look at that and choose to deliver me from more trouble in my life because he's given me a little breathing room today again. He sees the God connection in this relief, another day of relief, another time when Saul chasing him gives him a little breathing room again and he says, wow, God must be in this. You ever go through life and kind of lose track of that? You're going through a trial, you're going through a struggle, it seems never ending, it seems recurring, it's a recurring illness, it's a problem, it's a situation at work, and it seems to never go away. And God gives us just a little more breathing room, and it's much like that passage we learn in that great Hebrew phrase that we saw in the text, Selah Hamelikoth. Sometimes we need to stop and celebrate those things. Do you remember that passage? David got a little breathing room and he said, you know, let's set up a monument here. David here gets a little breathing room. He strokes his beard and he starts, starts to theologize a little bit. Wow, God is good here. He saw God in that. 
I was rebuked this week by my uh, two-and-a-half-year-old. Has that ever happened to you? And I mean rebuked in a good sense. My life was corrected this week because of my two-and-a-half-year-old. I'd come home from a long day of trying to grapple with the problems, challenges we face. We're in the midst, of course, this property thing. We've got expansion going. I've got staffing concerns. We've got all these things happening. And I'm there pondering the big, important things all day in my office. Had a long day at work. I come in just in time for dinner, but as often happens, my two-and-a-half-year-old runs up in his broken English and tries to give me a debrief on his day, right? Tells me all the important things that happened to him today. And I always sit down on one knee and say, what happened today? What did you do? With mom's help, he told me what had happened that day. He had gone to Burger King. And in the drive through line at Burger King, he saw on the sign that they were giving away Teletubbies. That was good news for Matthew. And he had a desire. I want Tinky Winky. That's what he wanted. He really wanted Tinky Winky, much to the chagrin of Jerry Falwell, I'm sure. But he wanted Tinky Winky, right? I'm sorry. <laughs> he wanted Tinky Winky. That's what he wanted. So he said to his mom, I want Tinky Winky, Tinky Winky, Tinky Winky, Tinky Winky. Mom says, well, I can't control that. I don't know. We'll just have to ask God and hope that God gives us Tinky Winky. <laughs> we get to the window. We get to the window. They get to the window. They crack open the kids' meal bag. And guess what's in the bottom of the bag? Tinky Winky. They get Tinky Winky. And my wife, in her maternal wisdom, pulls the car quickly over to the side of the parking lot, gets back in the back seat with my son, holds his hands in the car seat, and says, we need to stop and thank God for giving us what we wanted. And Carlin and Matthew prayed together and said, thanks, God, for being involved in the toy in the bottom of my kid's meal. My kid told me that. It was like the Holy Spirit jumped out of his voice and slapped me across the face. Because I'd been working with the big important things all day, struggling and grappling with the problems. And when God stepped in and gave me a little relief, I didn't see it. God was there. God was working. God was doing things, and much like Matthew's day, everything didn't go well. He had lots of problems. He had his finger cut. He didn't get to eat what he wanted to eat after he'd eaten lunch. He didn't get his dessert. He didn't get to watch what he wanted to watch. His brother pulled his hair, and he ended up having to go to bed a little earlier than he wanted to for his nap. Now, all of that made his day a bad day, but he got Tinky Winky in his kid's meal. And I thought to myself, my day was kind of like that, and yet I didn't see God in my day. Have we become practical deists? You know, the deists believe that God created the world. He is the God of the universe. But once he made the world, he's just walked away from the world. He's just let things unravel the way they unravel. But you know, in Colossians chapter 1, it tells us that Jesus Christ is involved in everything that happens. The text says that in Christ, all things, and the Greek word is so rich, really a good English word for it, is all things hold together. All things consist in James chapter 1, it says, every good and perfect gift comes down from above. It is a God thing. When anything happens that's good, and David could sit back, stroke his beard, and say, yeah, God was in this. But at the end of the chapter, David goes home, bottom of verse 25, to the desert, and Saul returns to the palace in Gibeah. He, much like in the two previous chapters, doesn't win the war, but God gives him a little breathing room in a battle. And he took the time to see the God connection. I put it this way in your outline, number three. If you and I are going to respond to recurring 
continuing, prolonged trials in our lives, we need to give praise, and I put it this way, for any relief, even if it's the right toy in the right Happy Meal. <laughs> I want to say, God, you're in that. God, in you, as Paul said, Acts 17, in you we live and move and exist. And if today I get a good, full set of lungs and breathe God's air or take a drink of water and I don't fall over and die, I need to say, praise God, you're in it. So if you're in the midst of some recurring or prolonged trial, I know the world looks at our lives and says, what a paradox, you Christians, you know, you claim to have God as your father, you claim that God loves you, and yet, you know, you're not exempt from all these problems. As a matter of fact, a lot of your problems started when you started going to church and you committed your life to Christ. And we say, you know, that's the way it is sometimes. Reminds me of a little ad that someone pointed out to me on the uh, bulletin board of the grocery store. It said, lost dog with three legs, blind in left eye, missing right ear, tail broken, recently castrated. Answers to the name Lucky. And I thought, that's the paradox of the Christian life. Here we are, struggling through things, sometimes compounded by our Christianity. And yet we sit back, call ourselves blessed Christians, little Christ, followers of the King. We are people attached to the Savior, and yet we struggle. Well, in the midst of your struggle this week, would you do these three things? Would you, as David did, make sure you don't reach the line of despair? Constantly remind yourself there are things promised to you bigger than the trials you face. Would you say, I'll seek change, and that's a good thing, but I'll never cross the line of compromise. And when it comes to my daily life, when I see any relief in the midst of my trial, I want to exchange praise for relief. If you do, I'm sure God will take your trial and use it to refine you to become a better person. No one read the first draft of Carlyle's French Revolution. No one did. They all read the second draft because the first one got burned up. But I would venture to guess, though it was a grueling struggle for Carlyle, I would guess that Thomas Carlyle's second draft was better than the first. And God seems to take us through trials over and over and over again trying to refine in our life a sterling character that will be created in no other way. So hang in there, endure. God has a plan in all of it. Thomas Carlyle's work about the French Revolution is considered an authoritative account of this historical period, but getting his manuscript published proved to be no easy task. You're listening to Pastor Mike Fabares and Focal Point. Our series today is called Chronic Life Aches. Now, if you missed any portion of this two-part message based on 1 Samuel chapter 26, verses 1 through 25, make sure to listen online when you visit focalpointradio.org. You can also download the message on your favorite podcasting app or stream it using the Focal Point app. We love providing these free Bible study options so everyone has access to the life-changing truth found in God's Word. And when you support Focal Point with a financial gift, know that you're making a difference. Through your generosity, we can deliver Pastor Mike's expositional teaching nationwide. Thank you for investing, so others are served. When you give to Focal Point today, we'll say thanks by sending you a copy of The Bumps Are What You Climb On by Dr. Warren Wiersbe. 
During his public ministry as a pastor, author, and radio teacher, Dr. Wearsby was known for his sound Bible teaching, charm, and wit. The Bumps Are What You Climb On is a wonderful resource for anyone facing frustration, depression, disappointment, or loneliness, and you'll especially appreciate the 30 brief chapters offering meditations to help you face each day with God's hope. We look forward to sending you a copy of this book when you give a donation of any amount to the Ministry of Focal Point. And today is the final day I'll mention this helpful resource. Request it today when you go to focalpointradio.org. If you'd rather send your donation by mail, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. Another way to support us is to tell us how you listen to the program. We'll thank you with a pamphlet titled Making Sense of Suffering, written by Johnny Tata. Ask for your free copy when you call 888-320-5885. Well, I'm Dave Drewey, inviting you to join us again Tuesday as we begin a series called Don't Quit, right here on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. You know, it's an honor to be with you every day, helping you explore the depths of Scripture. But I want to be clear, no amount of Bible knowledge is ever going to save you. Be sure where you stand with God. Get in touch with us. We'd love to pray with you and for you. Visit us today at focalpointradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.